Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of, Mos out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. The people who are receiving this letter, the Hebrews, this principally Jewish congregation in North Africa. Barnabas the author, don't have time to go there with that now. Barnabas the author is writing from Italy back to North Africa where he and his nephew Mark have, had ministered, probably ministered personally to this congregation. This congregation has endured great persecution. They have paid a powerful price because of their loyalty to Christ. And because of that, as he will say later in this letter, their hands are hanging down. Their knees are weak because they've attempted to carry the burden themselves. A burden that belongs on the shoulders of their God, they've been carrying on their own shoulders. And they are being, they have been persecuted, they paid a mighty price, and because of that, they are being tempted by a cult, a Jewish cult, which we know of uh, outside of this letter, that elevated angels, that tried to draw Jewish people back to the Jewish law as the core of their relationship with God, and they're tempted because if, if you mix with the gospel of Christ anything, well, you need to believe in Jesus. You need to be, entrust yourself to the work of Jesus Christ and the and takes the persecution away. It is when God's people stand up and say before men and angels, I have no hope 
No expectation except that which comes to me by what Jesus did for me on the cross plus nothing. It is all Him. And the world doesn't like that message because the world wants some accolade for themselves, for their own performance, for their own works, so that they've got something to brag about. No, worship is when we brag about God. We are never called to brag about ourselves. The only one who can authentically brag about us will be our God when we stand before Him at His judgment seat. Then we will be shocked to hear His words for us and for others. Things that we didn't even remember. That we didn't even think that He's going to be looking for so many reasons to pour out blessing on us. And we're going to be shocked as he remembers things, recalls things to our minds. But we, have the, we are to brag about God alone. That's what authentic worship is. And the world, the flesh, and the devil cannot stand that. But that's the reason for so many cults even if we call them christian cults because they add to the gospel or they and in fact that removes the gospel once you add anything to the gospel you've made the gospel not good gospel you've taken away the good news because you add some even if it's a small human performance factor you've taken away the glory that belongs to christ christ paid the penalty for our sin completely And we have a welcome with God solely based on what He did. These people have been saying that to their community. And they have paid a price because the world does not want to hear that. And so now Barnabas is turning these people with a Jewish background. He turns them to Psalm 95. And let's look again at the full Psalm 95, as our brother Josh read to us early. Psalm 95, what a wonderful psalm. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let's sing to Yahweh. The one who can say, I am that I am. Shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation, the one who is unchanging, unchangeable. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. I mean, can we picture in our mind's eye any more wonderful picture than coming before God in joyous worship? Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms, reciting to Him, Songs of praise and worship. Why? For the Lord is the great God. Yahweh is the great God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the great God. No other God that this world knows of. The hundreds of millions of them, by the way, of fallen angels, of demons that they worship as gods and goddesses. The Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. One of the things I love about the book of Job is chapter 1, where God 
is seated on his throne and Lucifer has to come and report in. The, the head over all the rebellious fallen angels that we call demons has to come and report in to him what he's been doing. Why? Because God, even though he is a sinful, rebellious angel, God is still his God. He is still his king. And he must report in. And he's got to hate every second of it. He is the great king above all gods. All the pagan gods. He is the Lord over them. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. No matter how far down you go in the mines, you can go deeper still and he is there to meet you. The heights of the hills are his also. The high, by the way, where did the pagans worship? On the hilltops, on the mountaintops. That's why when the temple was built in Jerusalem, the temple built by Solomon, they did not build it on the top of Mount Zion. That's, by the way, where the Mosque of Omar was built. They didn't build it on the top of Mount Zion because that's a place of pagan worship. That's where the pagan gods hung out, was on the mountaintops, the hilltops. If you had gone to ancient Greece and asked an ancient Greek, well, where do I need to go to find Zeus and all those other gods you worship? Oh, they're on the top of Mount Olympus, the tallest mountain in Greece. That's where they hang out. The heights of the hills are his also where they claim to have their domain comes from, he actually owns that also. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And in that culture, why is it that the ancient people painted eyes on the front of their boats? Because the sea was a fearful place. It was a dangerous place. Who owns the sea? Your God. Even if you go to sea, he is the Lord of the sea. There's this fellow Jonah. You may remember that story, that account. As he fled from God and he went down to the coast because he was not going to that city Nineveh and tell them how to repent because he hated the Ninevites, the Assyrians so much. They had killed, undoubtedly killed members of his own family. And when God said, I'm going to send you there, so you can preach the gospel to them. No, God, we don't want them to repent. That's a bad idea. And so he ran the other direction, went to the seacoast, got on a ship, goes out to the, on the ship, and all of a sudden they are met by a storm that is so fierce, even the pagan sailors know this is not a normal storm. And so they cast lots among themselves and the passengers. Okay, there is a God who's angry with somebody who's on this boat. And it came, and it came down to Jonah. It's, okay, what have you done? Who are you and what have you done? Well, I am Jonah. I'm a prophet of the true and living God. And I am disobeying him. And they're like, what? <laughs> are you out of your mind? Well, the solution is just throw me overboard and that you'll be out of danger. Those pagan sailors 
would not follow his advice. They were kinder to him than he would have been to himself or to them if the shoe had been on the other foot, if, it, if the situation had been reversed. They didn't throw him overboard. They fought and fought and fought the storm, but it just did not stop. And so finally, okay, we'll follow your advice. And they threw him overboard and instantly the storm stopped. Well, see, what God was doing, I just love this. God not only wanted the Ninevites to repent, he had this whole crew of pagan sailors out there that was sailing around the Mediterranean. He wanted them to repent too. So he took the disobedient prophet, put him on their ship so they could see what kind of a God he had. And every one of those sailors, everybody on that ship repented and became a worshiper of the God of Jonah. And of course, as you know, Jonah was swallowed by the great fish, spent three days in the belly of that fish, and then that fish spit him out on the edge of the Mediterranean when he cried out to God for deliverance. Spit him out on the shore of the Mediterranean there on the coast. And so the beached white, bleached white Jonah made his way to Nineveh where they worshipped a god named Dagon. The emblem of Dagon, by the way, was a fish. <laughs> and so here, God's prophet had been stuffed in a fish. He's bleached white, no doubt, after three days in a fish's tummy. And he now goes to Nineveh. Why are, and he preaches repentance to them. Notice he just says, repent. Actually, what he says is, God's going to destroy the city of Nineveh in 40 days. He doesn't even say repent. He doesn't even say God is offering mercy. He just declares the destruction. And God poured out on them a spirit of repentance. But, and they worship a God named Dagon, whose emblem, very emblem, is a fish. And here's this prophet of God that the fish was forced to spit out. He's now here. Here is a tangible proof that this Prophets, God is God, not Dagon. And the city of Nineveh, and believe me, the Assyrian people were extraordinarily cruel, 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 wicked people. Every other nation despised them because of their cruelty. And they repented. Because Jonah's God is the God of of God's the sea is his for he made it and those sailors had a powerful proof when they threw him overboard storm done oh Jonah oh come let us worship and bow down let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand and all God's people said amen Oops, we got some more verses to go here. <clears throat> what is the psalmist saying? What is God the Holy Spirit pushing through his face? Now comes the rebuke. Today, if you will hear his voice, not only the psalmist writing this to the people of his day, but then quoted by Barnabas in his letter, 
Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Let me tell you, you want a stunning lesson. Go back and read the book of Exodus. Read Numbers. Read Deuteronomy. Read the historic portions there in the five books of Moses that have to do with the people coming out of Egypt. Here is their God. He has humiliated every one of the gods of Egypt. Every one of those ten plagues. He's completely humiliated them. They saw the, the Red Sea was parted for them. They came through the Red Sea. They turned around and watched Pharaoh and his army drown in the Red Sea. They had every need met. For two years, they have every need met. And they come to a place called Kadesh Barnea at the southern boundary of the Promised Land. And when the 12 spies come back that they had sent into the land to spy out the land, two of them, Caleb and Joshua, said, they all agreed what they had seen. But Caleb and Joshua said, Joshua said, it doesn't matter what met our eyes. We know what our God is like. The other ten spies said, we saw giants, Anakim, in the land. They have fortified cities. They, and they laid out everything they had seen. But unlike Caleb and Joshua, who said, our God who just destroyed the much more powerful Egypt. Egypt was a much more powerful fortified city than the place they're being sent to. What had God done to the Egyptians two years ago? And now they are intimidated by the words of the other ten spies and they chose to disobey God. They chose, and God sent them for another 38 years to wander in the wilderness. But the first thing he did was God killed the ten spies who blasphemed him. Because their report was, this is much too strong for us. Well, it's not about you. It never was about you. It was about your God. And so what is Barnabas saying to the readers of the letter we call the letter to the Hebrews? It's never been about you. And they went in, and if you keep reading, and you read the book of Joshua, upon, and when they go in and conquer the land, 40 years later, after their exodus. And then into Judges. They keep turning back to worshiping pagan gods. The gods whom their God defeated. Folks, it wasn't about what made sense in the logical sense. It was about their immorality. They were immoral people who wanted to justify the immorality and the worship of Baal, which is the God they typically turned towards. It was an extremely sordid, debauched kind of worship. And they kept abandoning the God who gave them victory for this God who was constantly being defeated by their God. Does this make, no, none of this makes sense until you step back. Oh, it's because they were immoral people wanting to justify their immorality. Today, if you will hear his voice. Now, this psalm is being written about four or five hundred years after the Exodus and after the conquest. The book of Hebrews is being written about 
1,400 years later, quoting this, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. You hardened your hearts. You wouldn't have rebelled unless your hearts were hard. You chose to harden your heart. You chose to turn a deaf ear to God's message. You chose to blind your eyes to what had been done right before your very eyes. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they saw my work. They saw what I could do. Though they saw my work. <clears throat> For 40 years I was grieved with that generation. And two years into that, when they were at Kadesh Barnea, and they said, well, the principal objection they had, well, we don't want to go in there and invade because our little children will all be victims and they will all die. And God said, oh, I'm going to send you out into the wilderness for the next 38 years. And anyone who was 20 years old and older at the time you refused to go in at Kadesh Barnea, I'm going to let you all die in the wilderness. And the very children whom you, who, who you cared for so much will be the ones who, in fact, lead I will use to conquer the land. Your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years I would read with that generation and said it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they did not know my ways. So the inheritance they could have stepped into that had been promised to their forefather Abraham, they chose not to step into their promised inheritance so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest we too followers of Christ have a promised inheritance the promise to us is that having walked this on this earth as authentic disciples obeyers believers of the promises of our God we will step into his presence and in the New Testament it's called the judgment seat of Christ the Bema seat it is a judgment for purposes of reward and he will be looking for every single excuse he can possibly find to pour blessing on us the smallest act of faith of obedience of sacrifice done in his name in our lives things that we didn't even think were a big deal at the time he will remind us of and pour out outrageous blessing talk about a good investment <laughs> we want to enter into that the Hebrews chose not to enter into their promised inheritance we can do the same thing. How? By modifying our gospel, by trying to engineer our own success, by trying to engineer and govern our own life walk in this world instead of making ourselves fully, completely available to Him. We can forfeit that kingdom blessing just as they forfeited their promised blessing in the land of Canaan promised to Abraham and his descendants 
And so as it says in Hebrews 3.11, So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, verse 12, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Frankly, folks, it comes down to this. What did God say? Did he mean it? You've all heard the expression, I would dare say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You believe it, you trust it, you make your life decisions based on his declarations and his promises. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. The God who shows up. What's the difference between a living God and a dead God? A living God shows up and does what he says he's going to do. He's there. <clears throat> but exhort one another daily. While it is called today. And yes, it is the walk we have in Christ is a daily walk. Boy, however do I wish that we could do a one-time dedication and surrender to the Lord and it would be all fixed. We'd be all set and did it. No, you got to surrender and then surrender. And then did I say you need to surrender and surrender and surrender and surrender and believe and believe and trust and declare? You've got to do it day after day after day. It is a daily discipline. And it is contrary to our nature. You can only do it by the provision of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. But the Holy Spirit, if you're an authentic Christian, does dwell in you. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Who says, yeah, I hear that. I'm, uh, I'm not sure I'm going to make my decisions based on that. Well, you just forfeited kingdom blessing. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, the God who actually shows up. But exhort one another daily. Yes, exhort yourself, but also take the step of calling up other people on the phone, or if you see God brings a divine appointment, you encourage one another. Encourage means put courage, put strength into somebody else. Exhort, encourage one another while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin doesn't charge into our presence within, in the reality of what it is. It's always wearing a mask. Sin is deceitful. It's always bound in a lie about what, number one, about what your God is like and what his loyalty level is to you. There's the deceitfulness of sin. And you need to not only develop eyes that see what your God is like, but you need to start recognizing when it's a lie. Because Satan doesn't come with a devilish sounding to us voice. He comes to us with a pleasant sales pitch. And you need to recognize it. And the way you do that is not by the sound of the voice, but by the words. And you compare the words of that sales pitch with the words of God. Because sin, temptation is always bound in a lie. 
principally, not exclusively, but principally about the outcome. For we have become partakers of Christ, partners with Christ, receiving the full inheritance that is coming to him. When you get to heaven, you're going to want to be a partaker, a partner with Jesus. <laughs> you're going to want to be as seated as close to him on that throne as you can possibly be. You're going to be, want to be in his lap. That's what he's talking about. For we have become partakers of Christ and all of the blessing promised to him if we hold fast the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. We made an open declaration. I, came, I have been brought into God's kingdom by an act of his unrestrained mercy which he initiated and he brought me into his kingdom and we keep saying that. The, the statement we make on day one is the statement we're still making the day before he brings us into his presence. For, if, for we have become partakers of Christ, full heirs with him, if we hold fast the beginning of our confidence, steadfast to the end. While it is said, today, what day is this? This is Sunday. It's also today. And when we get to tomorrow, we're going to say, what day is this? It's Monday. It's also today. Every day is today that we're in. Today, right now, if you will hear his voice. What you have been hearing, ladies and gentlemen, this morning isn't the voice of some preacher. It's been the voice of God. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The Jewish people, they're standing at Kadesh Barnea with all the experience and evidence that they had had chose to harden their hearts. They, turn, they turned a deaf ear to the promises of God. They chose not to remember what had happened just within the last two years. In no generation has ever had the evidence as powerfully and clearly presented as they had. And what did they do? They turned away from it. They didn't have a lack of evidence. They chose to harden their hearts. They chose to serve the immediate feeling. They chose to fear the wrong thing. Instead of fearing God and giving respect to Him, they chose to fear the enemy. Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? Let me ask you a question. We're told in the Scripture by the Apostle Paul when he's talking to one of the congregants, he says, some of you in your congregation are dead because of your wicked rebellion against God. Let me tell you something. God takes His holiness seriously. I have seen evidence of people who proclaimed faith in Christ, who turned their back on Him and walked in a wrong direction openly, and 
God killed them. God takes his reputation seriously. He does. Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, the promises that they had? But to those who did not obey. And faith and obedience are part and parcel of the same thing. If you believe God, you're going to obey him. So we see that they could not enter in because of what? Unbelief. Unbelief. That is why it is so important on a daily, daily, daily basis and even more than once a day, be in his word, be before him, strengthening, being taught by him and strengthening your faith, crying out to him in prayer. Crying out to him in prayer and in submission so that you can enter in. So that the fullness of the promised blessing will be yours when you come into his presence. And every bit of sacrifice that you made here, every bit of pain and suffering that you may have experienced here, here because of loyalty to him, you will say, oh man, that was worth it. Yes, I'm glad I made that investment. <laughs> now I get an internal outrageous inheritance as an outcome. Something that far outshines that land of Canaan that was promised to ancient Israel. Obey. Believe. Trust Him. And divine inheritance will be yours. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we're so thankful that your mercy came to us at the cross, that you, our Lord Jesus Christ, paid sin's penalty completely for the entire human race. You paid off the sin debt of the human race. But the only ones who benefit from it are those who ask to benefit from it who in faith reach out their hand and say, please, may I have that gift? And you always gladly, joyously grant the gift that you've made possible. But that that same pattern, that same principle is before us regarding kingdom blessing, that you will add to the basic package an outrageous extra package of great reward to those who have continued to walk in faith in the same way that they stepped, were brought into your kingdom by their step of faith, so they, by steps of faith, step deeper into kingdom, your kingdom, and kingdom glory. Please do not let us plug our ears, deafen ourselves, harden our hearts to what you said to us today. And I'm praying that as much for myself as anybody else in this room. We ask this of you, good shepherd, Jesus, wonderful counselor, mighty God, 
everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And all God's people said, Amen.